Fendi, like the bag. <laughs> this is the Ivory Fuse Podcast. So if you've been listening to the Ivory Fuse Podcast at any point the last two years, you know, we're on our third season, you will probably notice that I've done two other parts to this episode uh and you know I did story time in the first part and then the second part I expanded while you know everything was still fresh um this final part this will be the final part part three to the parks and recreation trilogy um you know, I try to produce these fresh episodes while, you know, I'm also processing things in real time. And I made it a point in the first two um, parts of this, it's now a trilogy, to invite another person of color or a black person into the conversation. Um, not only, not any person but somebody that I am familiar with and whom I've had discussions with in real time as to the challenges and the pitfalls of being black in the gay community or being a person of color in the gay community and the reason why I kicked off the Parks and Recreation trilogy was in small part to a personal experience and it was more so the the pushback or the feedback or the response and how it was delivered and by having the co-host on or a special guest those two parts of the episode I wanted to compare and contrast um, because I'm fully aware that I'm not alone in these experiences. And on top of that, being an intelligent, upward, mobile, educated black person with 2020 vision and a sixth sense or an intuition as to the environments that go on breathing and living in the LGBTQ plus community. I'm like, I know damn well I'm not going crazy. Um, you know, things initially started off from what's very common in the community, which is toxicity, rumors, hearsay, jagged narratives, um, egocentric spirits and a lack of integrity um and going through having been on this earth almost 40 years having been out since I was 17 years old in the military nonetheless and I can say unfortunately that I'm aware of racism and prejudice and discrimination and segregation um, 
whether it's intentional or on a subconscious level, the moment it's in the room, um, and oftentimes it mirrors what you see going on in the real world. And it's interesting because that's counterproductive and contradictory to what, you know, Pride events suggest and how it's, you know, presented to everybody that, oh, you know, we're on this united front and, you know, we're about inclusion and progression and yet and still people feel the need or feel empowered to put themselves in front of an what they perceive as an issue and pointing the finger at marginalized people. And it's funny because it's like, you know, we didn't wake up one day and decide, oh, we're just going to be something different. Like, who we are is who we are. Yet, you know, there are certain pockets of people in the community that are committed to not getting along with people. And they are empowered by the freedom and liberty and the entitlement to do so because friends, best friends, husbands, boyfriends, partners, whatever, don't check them on it. But then again, you have some people out here that exercise those examples of racism and antagonism towards black and brown people when their husbands and their best friends and friends are not around who just so happen to also be white. So take that with, on top of that, how there is a consistent and constant pattern of belittling, well, attempting to, in my case, um, because I've been on the receiving end of it, and I shut that shit down. It was like the first time I was like, okay, I'm just standing here. So why am I being disrespected? The second time I was like, okay, I know I'm not going crazy. But each and every time that it's happened to myself or in front of me towards somebody else, the I guess the VIPs are not around. Um, but take what I also notice is that while it's happening to me and at least to other people that I know, it is never the case when it's people that look like them. And then, you know, when you put that together and you notice that over the course of, shit, I'll say three or four years, you're like, oh, I see. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, there have, it's, it's a a running theme or a pattern within the community, um, especially now more than ever when people have an overabundance of an antagonistic attitude, um, and it it shows up in the room as rudeness, 
Um, without provocation and context, by the way, before I go any further, as rudeness, as, uh, like I said, demeaning, being condescending, um, being inconsiderate, um, treating black people and brown people as less than. Um, now, mind you, like, when you have events or you have, like, classes or you have, like, uh, something educational, something playful, something that is uh, meant to bring us all together as a community and you have these people in those same spaces and they're only acting like this towards people that look like me it makes you wonder and you know white white people in general have privilege it's even tighter within the community so for example anytime a person cries or complains or confesses um some kind of, I'll, I'll call it a victim emotion, like, you know, they just complain or, or cry or do something of some sort to another white person. And it's, and the topic is a black person. You know, they'll never, that, third party won't bring it to the other person immediately and if they do it's like you know somebody said something about you or somebody came to me about you okay what you want me to do about it now mind you wasn't I wasn't asked what happened because of course nothing did happen But again, it's like this this theme or this uh this situation that nope, I didn't ask for, like I don't know about you guys out there, but I've never seen socially sexually um any kind of situation where people just feel the need to i guess give you unsolicited evaluations or unsolicited opinions or just even something like that. And it's just like, okay, people come to me all the time about some of y'all. I don't tiptoe and be like, because there's nothing to, to talk about. And also it's like, if you have if you yourself personally have an issue, say what it is and move on. It's stuff like that makes me think, you know, there are people out here that just take issue with black people and people of color having some liberty, having some freedom or some fun to express themselves and be who they are. 
when you look at, I say X amount of months, X amount of years, you know, I'll give you some guys a little bit of context where you've been around us same group of people you've been at their house they've been to your house maybe you guys have pulled around a couple of you know with each other um long enough to have a consistent view or picture of somebody you know somebody that is warm that is nice that is engaging that brings people together that engages with people that does a lot of foot and social work to benefit the brand and benefit the face of whatever it is you guys are put together for. And then on top of that, you know you've had a private intimate experience with this person, with the black with this black guy. Knows consent, practices consent, doesn't take it too far, takes no for an answer, is considerate, accommodating, and great to be around. Or else why would you be around him for four years, right? But the moment the wind changes in a different direction and somebody that looks like you has something to say or is all of a sudden bothered. All of that goes out the window. But nobody else around caught how people, there are people out here that won't, that don't discuss the facts, just certain facts. Like if you're going to bring something up, say, say everything, you know what I mean? And if this is how I know that like bias is a thing, usually when there's like a third party or a party outside of a situation, which is common in, you know, these play environments, a person that wasn't there and usually When something goes down and, you know, nobody else that's around after the fact um, wants to bring something up, usually they would ask, not not point or accuse or say, well, you can't do such and such at this party. It's kind of awkward when a a white person tells a black person what they can't do at an inclusive party. But I realize this is also another trend or a pattern in the community is like these, these mobs or these cliques and everything like every people wait until they have an audience, whether it's on social media, whether it's on, um, whether it's just like at a table to present or remember or bring up their opinion that insinuates something other than what actually happened. 
and they'll they'll cherry pick out of everything that happened they'll cherry pick they'll leave everything else out or they'll add shit that never happened to make it look like it's something else than what it is And then there's the the selfishness. You know, everybody had, everybody has the energy now when it's an issue for them. But when it's an issue for, you know, the black people and the brown people at the table, the energy is different or there's some kind of pushback. And it's like, you know, stop arguing, stop talking back, you know, shut up. It's like, well, how is this a brotherhood? How is this equality? How is this equity? But what people need to understand is that, you know, embracing black people and brown people is different than fetishizing them. And those are a couple of examples as the difference. And what a lot of people don't realize is that the fetishization of black and brown people is derived from slavery. If you look at the the parallels as to what you see in like group photos or group settings um, and like maybe even some porn, um, you very rarely see like black men lighter you know lighter complexion it's usually dark-skinned black men that are beefier muscular um or it's um slender athletic black dark-skinned black men uh both kinds have are oversized nine um because from what I've seen and I've heard, you know, some white men have a Wakanda fetish. And what's problematic about that is that, A, it's only about you know where. And then outside of that, there is a so, there's socially a disrespect um, element there. You know, they don't want to hear what you have to say they don't care what you think um they don't consider it they don't follow up with what your perspective it's really all about them and what they want and all they want from us is you know what and when i had um prior to having the guest on that I had on the first two parts of uh, the park, parks and recreation, we had had we had been having conversations, um, just based off our observations we've made, of how we often notice in porn, or we are ninety five percent of the time approached when we are approached by white guys, it's usually for us to top them. Um, 
it's very, very rare, and I can say this off of experience um, in both cases, that a uh, a non-person of color would want to top me or top him. Um, and looking back, I realized that kind of plays into it. And, you know, I'm not... Too keen on the whole thing, and I realize you know it's not every it's not everybody, um, but there are those out there that look for it, and you don't see us at the dinner tables um, outside of the the sexual element. Um, they're not friends with us. Um, and on top of that, like you could be the most respectful, hardworking, intelligent, educated, everything atypical of what they may perceive or what they think of when they see black guys and still be disrespected. And it's like, I know myself very well. And I know I don't put into the universe anything that warrants me being disrespected in in return. That's just... That doesn't sound right. So I know know it's not me. Um, But yet and still, it's like... this running theme through all these stories and all these experiences that culminate in the bottom line, which is, you know, they want our rhythm, but they don't want our blues. They embrace our votes. They embrace our money. They embrace all the benefits and all the privileges that are because of us but they don't want any of the responsibility. Um, Benefits and perks such as, you know, housing, um, you, you get a decent, nice, gentrified looking row house, um, or the best that you can afford and it's in a predominantly black area, yet and still, when you come around other gay guys or you come around your friends, you give us the same experience, the same people that look like you that don't embrace us sexually or socially. So how is that brotherhood and how is that friendship? And it... And it dawned on me probably within the last three to five years, because, you know, even though I'm not, we're not sharing the same air, breathing the same air, I still can observe from afar. And it's like, you get so much from us. You benefit so much from us. And you still feel the need or feel it necessary to dispose and discard of us. 
without inquiring as to the facts. See, nobody ever considers or factors in that, like, non-people of color um, within the community, and this has nothing to do with sexuality or gender or identity, um, as much as people, I feel, use that to, in an attempt to abscond or absolve themselves from consequence, none of that absolves you from your racism or your discrimination or your segregation or your prejudices um, or your bias. bias. And I'm saying this to say, you know, non you know, a non-person of color that fetishizes black and brown people, that's the true, that's truly a cheat code. And what I say by that is, I say that they can gleefully and easily (coughs) play with both sides. Yet they ultimately fake it with us socially. You know, smile in our face, take pictures with us to give the impression that they are inclusive. But the moment the wind changes direction, they say what they say or they they do what they do towards us. And they return back to status quo, which is going back to the table, going back to the meetings, going on the trips, up and down 95 or up and down 83, to sit in the pools and sit in the hot tubs with their other white friends and going about life like nothing happened. You know, it's like as long as they have an excuse or a reason, they'll use it. It doesn't even matter that, you know, they gaslight They just gaslight people in front of their friends. You know, they, because they're popular and they're, you know, they're friends or they're familiar, you know, everybody else in the group falls in line with them. Doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter that it's not all the way true. Doesn't matter that it's a manipulation. It doesn't matter that it's a lie. You know, because they're white and they're popular, it's, who are they to to second-guess them? Meanwhile, we get the third degree. And it's like, you've been to my house. We've broken bread together. Every year in D.C. Breathe the same air, laugh, set up stuff, moved as a unit, even performed in shows just about every December. I've proven myself as to why I have a seat at the table. And you want to take it away because he has an issue. And I had said in, I believe, in the first or the second parts of recreation what the issue was. But again, you know, 
me being intelligent and my intuition, the difference in truth and reality and opinion and manipulation is what you leave out, what you put in, and who's saying what. And what I, what I mean by that is like, given that we're well above drinking age, we're in our 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and given that we've been around each other for X amount of months, X amount of years, especially months since, I guess, the point of contention for some of these people, and given that this space over here is promoted and presented as inclusive, which means free of racism, free of discrimination, free of segregation. Given all those variables, why are you more upset than about this, which is common in play parties, than me and your husband? You know, I I will say that like there's there's this quote that I've seen a long time ago um, as in regards to you know people putting up a stronger resistance to something or doing or as I call it doing the absolute most, and I feel like people do that as to overcompensate or deflect or take, you know, take the tension away from the real issue that they personally have. And I never quite understood at first why non-people of color feel the need to instinctively control or, you know, manipulate or gaslight um, black and brown people. Um, and then I, th- I sat and I thought about it. I was like, that is reasons, more reasons as to why fetishizing black people can be problematic if when you're a non-person of color. Now, like I said earlier, like, it's not everybody. And again, you know, I feel like it's, there's a time and a place to exercise that kind of stuff. Um, you know, if we're in a different headspace and we're tight like that and we're comfortable with each other like that, you know, that's a that's on the other side of the bridge. That's a different situation. But if we're in a social setting and we're not tight like that, and at no point during the two or so years that we've shared the same air, like, we don't even talk. You know what I mean? Like, barely at the meetings, barely at events, you don't call or text otherwise. <coughs> what is this bullshit you're trying to do right now? 
Oh, I forgot. Group setting, audience, performative, aka flexing in front of your friends. I see. Which is the same thing, you know, person that shall remain nameless because he's not that important has been doing seven plus years and continues to do more toxic behaviors reflective of an attitude. You know, they, they need an audience to feed off of their persona, their, their issues, and more importantly, a narrative over here But the reality is something different. And, you know, sticking to the script, you know, who are they, you know, who are their friends to to question what this person's saying or to, you know, kick in any common sense, kick in any of the critical thinking um, they'll just use the one aspect or the one or two aspects of your personality that they've benefited from for X amount of years and use that against you. In my case, it was, oh, well, you know, you are affectionate and, you know, you are forward. Yeah, I mean, can't help that I was raised right. Can't help that, you know. I'm into men, like, and looking back, I was like, this, this is the exhausting, the exhausting gay era in the community where it's just like, they, they want so much out of other people, but they will never reciprocate it. Like, I'm bothered. Do something about it. I'm triggered. Let's do something about it. Um, they'll go around telling everybody else about a particular person. And then they'll come to a friend of theirs, a friend of this person, and say, you know, people can't, people refuse to join or sign up for this club because this guy is in it. People refuse to sign up because you're the one telling them about him. And it's not even the truth. You know, the the spins and all this kind of stuff. And they'll do it on social media, but won't keep that same energy in public. And again, it's like, how is this community when it only serves to divide us? And we're doing this at 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old. And, you know, it's not even coming from the old guard, you know what I mean, in the community. Like men that have been through worse. And, you know, I understand it's about perspective. It's like, 
men that have been through worse are like, eh. It's it's the it's the eighty eight to ninety six crowd. You know what I mean? And in that mix, middle aged men that came out late in life. I mean, I know a lot of people don't want to hear this harsh truth, but, I mean, it's a reality because I've experienced it as somebody that's dated older men. And one of the older men that I've dated is somebody that was straight for X amount of years, you know, married at 17, 18, um, had uh, three kids, came out later in life, and he spent the majority of the time trying to fit in with like teenagers and 20-somethings and was more interested in like showing off and like flexing and all this other kind of stuff. And it's like, I continue to see that to this day with other people. And it's just like, you know, you're not 25 anymore, you know, they probably feel like they are like a gay 25 year old because they've been out for like seven or so years. But it's like, you don't, you don't surround yourself with other age appropriate men to get like a rich perspective from other gay men that have lived through like the AIDS crisis um, that can tell you like a history, give you context as to the community and, you know, certain things that a 20 or 30 year old that probably doesn't know themselves can tell you. You're just going to follow behind them or whatever they say because you guys hang out a lot. He probably hasn't shown you all there is to show you. He probably isn't even telling you all that, all the facts. And it's like, okay, in this community, you know, we're talking about, oh, we accept people. Oh, we're diverse. Oh, we're progressive. But more and more over 95% of the time it's same note single file same shade clicks groups group photos vacations you know sitting in the hot tub sitting in the pools shit like that but we're friends how how you don't even see black people and brown people. You know what I mean? But it's like the moment they perceive or they think or they they get the sense that you're going in that direction, it's a problem. You know, every conversation, every situation is not a power or an ego tussle. You know, I think another detri- detriment to the community and just in life in general is that, you know, you have people out here that 
refuse to consider or respect black and brown people's perspective um, because they feel like anything we say means we're taking something away from them. And, you know, which is just a reflection of a lack of immaturity. No, if you've ever seen like a debate or it doesn't even have to be a debate, just a, a casual conversation about some some of the more important matters, you know, like civil rights or, you know, equality among the races, among men and women, um, Black Lives Matter. It's. Between, especially between the marginalized and the privileged demographics, it's it tends to get heated. I mean, for it, I can use a more recent example. Uh, if you've been watching, if you've watched, uh, you don't even have to watch all, all three days. Maybe like the second day, the um, Supreme Court hearings for the Honorable Judge. Kentaji Brown Jackson. Just white men, the way they talk to black women. That hard stop. When it comes to something that is important to somebody else, in my case, it was the play party was very important to these people. Now, mind you, there are thousands of these everywhere that the pendulum tends to swing greatly in favor of white men in these spaces. The play party is more important to them is the most important thing. More important than inclusion, more important than integration, more important than what's on that piece of paper um, that they have everybody believe the party was about. So let's take the concept of inclusion. It's not optional. It's the definition of it is embracing marginalized people. Right? And it doesn't only apply to play parties or mixers or any of the the other shit if we're all aware that this this particular party is not inclusive and we we know this because we're discussing it and this is where the lack of awareness comes in you're telling us that People that look like you are complaining about p- 
people that look like us. Now, the people at this table are, I guess, the executive decision makers as to what happens or whatever like that. There's only two people of color at this table. And one's extremely privileged, other not so much. And you're not going to ask for insight from any other black or brown person, even though, you know, we're supposed to be inclusive and integrated as to what that looks like. What mattered more was that white people were complaining about black people. Lack of awareness came in because not even six months before that, I brought something up about the same play party where white guys were just not embracing black people. But not only that, they were doing it in a distinctively rude, antagonistic way. That's the difference between, okay, not being interested and not, not being interested and being a racist. Because that's the kind, that's the type of situation that keeps the black people and the people of color on the opposite side of the room from the white people. Now, I believe I said in Parks and Recreation Part 2 that, you know, it's it's more subtle and nuanced than it was in, like, the 60s and even further back in the 1800s and the 1600s. Like, even though we want truth, so few of us are being honest. And the same ideology applies in this situation where it's like nobody nobody is going to admit that... You know, a white person's not going to admit, oh, whites only. But they'll complain about, you know, black people. And then to even go a little bit further, you'll have other white people facilitate that with their bias by not asking, you know, people that weren't there will facilitate that by not asking or inquiring. Yeah, you know I'm forward. You know I'm assertive. You've benefited from that for years. I take full ownership for that. But being forward does not mean that I violate people. 
that that's the line right there. Like I take full responsibility for everything I say that I, and do, but I do not take responsibility for your perception of me. Um, the other person is not responsible for the perception that you have of them in your mind. And before I get out of here, I want to say to all the beautiful black and brown people and the people of color out there that you have, whether you're aware of it or you're not, you have a power within you that intimidates, um, insecures, and frightens people that don't know better and they will try their best to take that away from you not because you know not because it's before I go on I wanted to quote bell hooks uh, for my uh, black and brown people, the people of color out there that are listening to this episode. Sometimes people try to destroy you precisely because they recognize your power. Not because they don't see it, but because they see it and they don't want it to exist. Looking back on my experience, I realized, you know, the need you know, aside from people's need to control and direct and tell without consent or context, other people what to do. I realized, you know, also that what people think of me is none of my business. Um, People are going to do and say what they want even though it's a contradiction as to the attitude and behaviors they have towards other people um and keep it pushing and we mustn't be deterred from that i mean that's a human thing uh i don't understand why that is um i for you know, the sake of my mental health and my sanity, I put down years ago, you know, this line as to how much shit, bullshit, toxicity, if any, that I'll put up with. And I realize that a lot of this, you know, that was thrown my way from some of some of the people within the community comes from ignorance and arrogance. I mean, just imagine someone who knows the absolute least or just knows the least having the most to say. And then on top of that, just make note of how people, you know, that are your real friends and people who 
whose loyalties and characters and personality are driven by opportunity. And how once a circumstance changes or an opportunity comes on the horizon, how they attach themselves to it, put themselves in front for the moment. That's gratifying to them. That gives them leverage. And then they just move along with everybody else. Like it's not enough to be gay and white. You have to be gay, white, and toxic. Um, Because again, it's like this is more important to you and everybody else around here. More important than the responsibility and the accountability that comes with being an ally to black and brown people. Like the point of inclusion is an answer to these very attitudes and behaviors that you people still hold that people still hold on to in the community. And you know, the the community as a whole would be an even more glorious, more special place if people didn't come into the community and into these spaces with this indoctrinated racism, ageism, colorism that they like to call preference. And with that, these attitudes um, that aim to attempt to make us feel like we're less than, less than attractive, less than deserving, less than intelligent, less than aware, less than, just less than you fill in the blank. Because it all qualifies. Um, In a normal, adult, mature conversation, gaslighting is not present. You know, the situation where, you know, people aim to cause confusion, make you think or question yourself and your reality. And I knew I was... Looking back, I realized I was being gaslit. Because, what, the following week I was thinking, well, maybe I did get it wrong. And I realized that was all for their audience. I mean, opinions and feelings are not fact. I mean, the reality still stands. The way things went still remains. Anybody can have an opinion in this life. Good for you. But it's very telling when you tell the truth with your A1 memory and it's not enough. And you get the third degree. And... It doesn't change anything. You've just proven to people the lie that they were just told beforehand. 
and it, it means nothing. Where do you think that kind of attitude and behavior stems from? You know, on the on this podcast, you know, while we do have our episodes, our content that is fun and funny and hilarious and, you know, we tend to be petty and we, you know, we go for that entertainment. I also try to inject some information or some education based off of my own personal experiences. And this is one of the probably the most serious uh subject matter i've had up to this point um and i think it's very key especially off of the heels of the kind of the past couple of years that we've been having in this country and in this world where there is just this overabundant amount of apathy towards black people and brown people this overabundant amount of willful and intentional at that um arrogance and need to dominate over black people this uh this uh supremacy show this supremacy over black and brown people um this lack of consideration there aren't conversations being had it's more of a conquer and divide um seize and neutralize a perceived threat um which ultimately results in what it mattered to them. And in, in, in looking at the changes from over the years since those situations, you know, people, you know, some people can pretend and act like they're naive and act like they don't know what's going on, but they play just a a bigger role into what's happening, believe it or not. And that's several reasons as to why bias and nepotism and conflict of interest waters down the effectiveness of the bigger purpose, which is integration and inclusion. Um, You know, another thing that is prominent in this current era or culture of the the LGBTQ plus community is people are not nice to everybody. They're not nice. They're not decent. They're not engaged. You know, they don't embrace um they're only like that with people they want to sleep with and try as 
certain people might def- to have this uh these rose colored glasses on that you know it's it's just a preference uh we don't have any control over who people are attracted to which you know that cop out is like a double edged sword cuz it's like how would you know how would you know what another person finds attractive or don't? And, you know, kind of piggybacking off of my earlier point as far as, you know, people, and, you know, people feel like or think somebody is trying to take something away from them. When it's it's supposed to be a conversation to begin with. Like, it's an ego thing. It's like, you, by you being white, you have entrance in everything. You have leisure and the freedom and the liberty to go anywhere, be with anyone, like even more than not. You can walk from one end of the room at a play party to the other end and be flooded up to your esophagus and be and be the biggest Be the biggest slut and be the biggest hoe and be the biggest whatever. Like anything to your content, to your heart's desire. And you don't even have to flinch or blink an eye because you're white. We don't, we don't get that. We don't, we, and the moment people think we do. This happens. And the sad and another sad part is that it's because people think and feel like somebody's taking something away from them. And nobody's being honest with themselves like nobody's going to tell their husband oh well you know I just want you know white guys at this party other white guys at this party or I just want you know the white twinks at this party or I just want white daddies at this party if you have a room full of people that are not inclusive. Hell, not even the whole room. Half half the room. That's not inclusive. The event and the party's not inclusive. I mean, let's have some some intelligence about this. But again, it's not about the community. 
It's always about self. And in turn, that does not move the community forward. Every, you know, people are out for themselves at all times. And you have somebody in the front, the oldest person in the fucking room, that doesn't get it. Now again, he too is trying to fit in. Now you can say your nickel and dime, daddy advice, or whatever, you know, helps you sleep at night and gives yourself a pat on the back that you did a great job, but yet and still the actions speak louder than words. You're still gonna get yours and you're still gonna, you know, do your thing and have this liberty and freedom. But on top of that, you play a part in cutting off black and brown people at the knees. And just for the record, I am a good looking bad bitch. This is Mr. Fox the Guy Refuse Podcast. Um, this has been a great season of the I Refuse Podcast. Um, we're probably going to end here and then bring, you know, come back in the fall like we normally do. Um, be sure to get to our YouTube channel, you know, follow and subscribe there. I refuse podcasts. You can uh, put that in three words um, into the search engine on YouTube. Um, and don't forget, we're still here alive and well on streaming. Um, if it was up to me, I would say of the three seasons so far, of the podcast, I would say this is probably my favorite one so far. The second season uh, from last year, um, which ended last May, I think, of the, around this time last year, I finally hit my stride. Like, I had guests on. We were talking about all kinds of great things, laughing, and it was a great way to uh, occupy my time during the pandemic more, um, I found, you know, in doing the I, the I Refuse podcast, I found that not only by sharing my experiences, I found out more about myself. Um, and it's been a great, it's been great therapy opening up and sharing with you guys on this podcast. Um, and learning so much more about myself through this thing. Um, also, it's been a great deal of um, it's been a great deal of cognitive cognitive therapy. Um, I've been struggling for a couple of years due to mold illness with my cognitive ability. It's been my brain function has been different. Um, if you've ever been, if you've been listening to the I Refuse podcast up to this point, whether it's been YouTube or 
the streaming platforms, you know, especially that first season, oh my God, it took me a while to put my words together. Now, mind you, that first season and the podcast up until um, last June, I was living in a moldy house. And I'd even, I think I even talked about that on the podcast um, and the trajectory and the progress of that. But, you know, your boy's been hitting the gym the past couple of months, save about three weeks I had COVID. Um, and I just had to reset my body, just get that, the blood flowing, get my mind together. Um, I've lost 20 pounds so far, um, and I feel good, but also the circulation is back. Um, you know, they never really tell you all the effects and even the after effects, um, that it has on your body and your your well-being and your just physical state. Um, and this podcast has been a great godsend um, to do um, outside of that, but just, you know, my create creativity is back. Um, and sharing my opinions and getting the love and the likes and the plays each episode, whether it's on YouTube or the streaming has been great, um, has inspired me to keep going. Um, I love you guys. Um, we're going to keep this train going as long as you guys are out there engaging and liking and stuff. I just want to hear what we have to say over here about a myriad of things. Um, so this is Mr. Fox, the I Refuse podcast. We will catch you later this year with season four. Wow. Um, spread the word. I know I'm doing my promotion things on Twitter and Instagram and the YouTube and the streaming platforms and the, the blog. Um, we are on Twitter. I Refuse podcast. All one word. Um, the link to the streaming and the blog and the YouTube channel is linked in the pro the Twitter profile as well as the Instagram. Um, so yeah, we will catch you later. Um, have a safe summer. Stay hydrated. Stay boosted, and mind your business. Take it easy. Bye. The reason why I named these three episodes Parks and Recreation is kind of as a, a metaphor or a pun on how we as black and brown people are often toyed or played with out of pleasure, gratification, embarrassment, um, all the things you think of when you think of like a toy or as a ploy or as just something to serve as an example for other people and just everything that comes with that fallout what it means what it's, <clears throat> excuse me what it says about the privileged demographic that plays target practice with us um, at any point 
in association uh, existence and how there's a difference in privilege. You know, those of you guys that get a pass for however, whatever you move, um, uh, whether it's like disrespectful, if it's tacky, if it's toxic. And then there are those of us on this side, the marginalized demographic, that it's almost like there's no air. And especially when it's in like a group setting and, and you just get the feeling it's like, if I clap back, if I respond to this one person in front of these eight or nine people, it's only gonna prove what they perceive. You know, a lot of us are, just don't have the discussion around how society conditions, you know, black and brown people, members of the marginalized demographic, into falling in line. Um, and with that, there's always the expectation that you will do that or this will be the consequences. And with the, that line of thinking, you it causes you to step back and tilt your head to the side and think, you know, where does this stem from? Um, where, where, where is the source of this kind of attitude and this kind of approach? You know, I could say the media... Um, you know, throughout the podcast, its existence, I've been talking about the role the media plays in presenting a particular narrative that is harmful to black people and people of color. Those of us that are, that were born here, those of us that come from other countries. I mean, let's keep it a thousand. Nobody here in this country was is a native like we're all we're all from someplace else that's a whole whole discussion but the parks and recreation it's it encapsulates a lot of the the inequality and not just socially and culturally but sexually as well and how, you know, the privileged demographic or even just some people across the entire board cling to this thing called preference like it's the Bible. And as is the case with everything else in life, there's, there's a good and a bad. Um, I mean, in this case, it's like over 90% bad when it comes to using the word preference and what it really means. Um, when you think of the word preference, like you have people out here that use the word and, you know, some people, I mean, I chuck it up to ignorance. Uh, you know, they just are just not really aware of what they're actually saying to other people and more importantly, what it says about them. 
I myself have never had a preference with anything. If I like the person, if I like, you know, this piece of clothing, this shirt, or I like these pants, it could be paisley, it could be corduroy, it could be stonewash. Like, that's that's my gig, that's, that's my bag. But I know that I've never said or acted in a way where I am not embracing or accepting of anybody. I mean, a lot of this comes with seeing people. You know, seeing people as they live and breathe in front of you. Um, opening your, your attitudes and your mind and everything to other experiences. And I think for myself, by me going into the military um, pretty early, I went into the military two months after high school graduation, just for an immediate need to A, get out of my current circumstance, and B, for college, which they never tell you that with the Air Force at that time, it was, you take, it, it'll take about two years for them to let you actually go to college. You don't like, go through basic training and then, bam, you're at a university. But with that, there was some travel involved, which meant I went to other states, I went to other cities, I got, you know, further, I further expounded on the integration experience and the inclusion experience that I had to taste first had a taste of when I was in grade school, right? So fast forward about not even a year later, I'm in the Middle East. And there's something about being in a third world country that makes you appreciate what you have more. Um, I mean, at that point, I had already appreciated what I had because I grew up not having that much. I mean, food and shelter, great. You know, single parent, works full time, um, big family, never without. Um, but as far as the opportunities, as far as, you know, scholastically related um, scholarships, you know, the grades weren't too good, didn't have a steady um, reference to help or assist with figuring out some of the subjects in school. I was essentially on my own by the time I was 16, right? Working part-time, going to school full-time. Uh, my mother would intervene every once in a while, but that's part of my experience. So seeing how other cultures live and how they're happy you know, through all the heat and the sand and working outdoors and having their um, their lunches and everything. And seeing that up close and personal in contrast to what I saw in like the early 90s when I was like grade school age while my brother was in the army, um, the narrative the media had as far as Iraqis and Pakistanis and Middle Eastern 
men, women, and children um, during the Cold War, during Saddam Hussein. Uh, even with that narrative that was spoon-fed to us, or they tried to spoon-feed to me and people in my household for about eight or ten years of the first eight or ten years of my life, I didn't feel that, you know, being over there. I didn't feel like I was under any danger. I didn't feel like these people were going to overpower me. And I was exposed to that roughly, what, 17, 18 years of age. And I think when you have that kind of experience, it opens your eyes to appreciate. And in some ways, well, appreciate and embrace, but in some ways, rewire your mind and your brain and your heart and your spirit for other ethnicities, other cultures, falling in love more with people, more of people that look nothing like you do. But unfortunately, you know, you you carry that with you and you unpack these kind of narratives along the way, the narratives about other cultures, other ethnicities, and seeing them as a whole being, not just pieces of their aesthetic, um, sexually, not thumbing your nose down to them, socially, not disrespecting them, not being arrogant or ignorant towards them, having more patience, having more empathy, being open to doing something different and thinking outside of yourself for other people, more importantly, people that don't look like you. But unfortunately, um, being that kind of person or not being that kind of person because, you know, experiences vary from person to person. You still have the rest of the world and you still have the rest of the community that, you know, a lot of them grow up in sheltered places and, you know, they have the two parents and they come from a stable house and they have it pretty good all their lives. Um... They're not bothered, they're not hassled, they're not harassed. And a lot of the social ills and the blues that marginalized people go through and the difference with privilege, the privileged demographic uh, people of color that don't have to go through that that's always going to remain a constant because, you know, history repeats. And especially in this country, history repeats to where it's almost like we're not all the way back in the 1950s and the 1960s. Um, the only difference is that the laws have gotten tighter for the most part. 
but people are still getting off for murdering black people. And to the point where people are like, you know, they're not going to show up in white hoods. They're going to show up with badges. And I'll, I'll say in my personal experience, maybe in just in the last 10 years or so, just the things that have been coming out of Florida and the things that have been coming out of Ohio, you know, the stand your ground law and the open carry, but they still shot and killed Tamir Rice. Um, the stand your ground on property that's not yours, but you still get off for killing a black unarmed teenager in the dark after you were told not to follow him. And even with the prejudices that were made public in previous 911 calls of, you know, oh, these stupid guys and, you know, these black guys that keep, you know, doing this and doing that and that bothers me. And it's just, it just blows my mind that we are still facing that. And, you know, the the overzealousness, the overaggression, the, the disdain, daneful tone, the uh, uncomfortability. And when I look at the last 10 years, um, which has been most of my, most of my 30s, it's caused me to reevaluate just what I've been taught. Because, you know, in school they only teach you but so much. The, being out in the real world is the, the, educate, is the real education. Um, not taking anything away from college just the how people really feel about us people that don't look like us that have a little bit of power um even when they don't technically they still have 10 or 15 other white people behind them to back them up it doesn't take much and it doesn't take long for you to be dismissed for you to be discarded for you to be feared, for you to, to quote unquote, make people uncomfortable. But people fail to realize that people that come into the room already have that. Maybe that's why you don't see a lot of black people around. Like, how would you know? How else would you know? Outside of this space that's supposed to be inclusive, that that person's uncomfortable. It should, and if you're friends with a black person and a person of color, or you claim to be friends with them, why is the first instinct to turn on them? But be quiet when we share with you, you know, examples of racism, examples of exclusion. You don't have time for it, you don't want to hear it. But you're, 
you claim to be friends with black people and people of color. And you know, with all of that and what I've said earlier in the episode at this point, I feel like that kind of response is derived from two things. First, well, I mean, fear. Um, that's unfounded. And secondly, it's the the intimidation. And mind you, like, we're not talking to somebody that fits all the bubbles. Like, re- realistically, like, with 2020 vision, with what you've seen and witnessed, we're not talking about a person that lives and breathes aggression or lives and breathes violating people or has a criminal record or has done indefensible things. What we're talking about is grown men, some older than me, some my age or whatever, operating like they're in high school. And my common sense is like, if we're friends, I don't want to hear what somebody else has been saying. I want to know why they're comfortable telling you. And you've been smiling in my face this whole time. See, we don't want to talk. See, we can go into a whole discussion about character flaws. I mean, that's just a baseline across the board, bottom line kind of discussion. But it's very interesting to me during that personal experience that I had mentioned, just what is deeply rooted in some of these people. And how it goes on for so long unchecked and unrealized. Like, first instinct, in a group setting, this is how you feel. This is how you think. You know, it's Pride Month, and, you know, a lot of people in the community look forward to this month to express their support, to express their liberties and their freedoms and their happiness and joy in being gay, lesbian, non-binary, trans, all the thing, all the beautiful things. And I want to make it a point that... A, com- a common theme, you know, that I've shared in Parks and Recreation is this idea or this attitude that there's still inequality. Um, and with that, you know, that leaves the door open for people to bring these attitudes and these behaviors and these ideas that we are inferior to them. And you know, I've been I've been on this earth for a while now, you know, 
almost 40 years. And with that life experience, I've been able to make a connection with how people feel about somebody to how they treat them. And my experience that I've shared, you know, in the story that I've been sharing in this trilogy is one that has me feeling like that was supposed that was supposed to be the case. You know, I was telling when I was sitting down with one of the people for about an hour and a half trying to explain to them, you know, if this environment, this space, and this uh, arena or culture is supposed to be inclusive, inclusivity implies that I have the same experience that you have. And I am embraced and welcome and accepted within those spaces. And it's hard to achieve that kind of thing when you have not only people in those environments, but also people putting those spaces and those events together that have a low opinion of black people and people of color to the point where they put them through experiences where there is a need to embarrass in public settings, to chastise, to judge, to put down, um, to antagonize, to show people in group settings that they are that they have dominance and control and power over people of color and black people. And to that, you know, there's this need which is ego driven to control or attempt to control, in my case, neutralize or water down a perceived threat. And with that it's it's something that's played out in society as a whole where people are only about rights that are theirs and about things that benefit them and benefit their husbands, boyfriends, partners, or whatever. And that's even to the detriment of the very demographic that defines inclusion. And it's it's interesting because it's like, here we are, a quarter of the century, in the 21st century, and we still have this playing out, you know, and it's not just socially, but politically where, you know, there's this tussle, or, you know, there, and it's one-sided mostly, I mean, for those of us that see people and their attitudes and their behaviors for what they are, and just move on like we're not even trying to tussle because I see what it is you're about you know there are those out there that have this need of importance and being performative in group settings and they want to show people that they run things um, and 
It's all about them. Looking back at how things played out in my my most recent experience that I've been talking about since I believe the first season. One thing that remains clear, and this is a theme throughout history, is that you know an educated, intelligent, free, assertive black man is a problem for people. And, you know, what non-people of color need to understand is they have to be very careful with this trend that I'm sure you've seen in the media, on reality TV, with uh, narratives as it pertains to black people and people of color. Because whether people want to believe it or not, you know, people... There are some people out here that still have a racial stereotype when it comes to black people and people of color as people that are dangerous, people that are a threat, people that are deceptive, can't be trusted, and with that, they have to be taken out. And at no point was there an inquiry Um, after, you know, honesty and integrity and truth was brought to the table. It was more important to take to the trend that was occurring before I opened my mouth. And from my perspective, that experience was one that showcase more toxicity and more of this habit of taking black people of color out of the picture. Whether or not you've benefited from them for X amount of years, whether or not you were not being honest in uh, the interim, uh, not having integrity in the presence of black people people of color, and more dedicated to create, to creating confusion and drama. And it's unfortunate because here it is, you created this situation where black people just can't trust you. And because you're white and more popular and people like you for whatever reason, you have more credibility than the person that was actually in the situation. And it makes me wonder, you know, this thing where you have, you know, the gaslighting and, you know, the psychological warfare that comes with kind of tricking people instead of asking um, playing around with perceptions and realities, um, only discussing specific facts and not all the facts, um, leaving out the context, leaving out the the precedents, leaving out the the background as to the type of environment it was. 
And it didn't matter whether or not people weren't there. You know, you're somebody that the majority likes more than they do me. And, you know, once the bandwagon comes up on the horizon, people want to jump on that. And that's community, right? That's community and, you know, isolating, alienating the less favorable and the less desirable um, on all fronts by any means necessary is community as well. Um, On the way out, it was, you know, after getting the third degree, being questioned, um, after the fact, like, the details and the facts and who I am as a person, it was implied that, you know, I'm not, I'm less than attractive. And, um, you know, we don't have any control over who people find attractive. And it's like, were you not listening? Um, and looking back, it was like, you know, we take part in the democratic process. We, you know, the voting process to put people in positions to lead us. And in exchange, we're expected to compromise and make others feel comfortable. Even though they're never comfortable around black people. Because they don't embrace black people. And it's interesting to me because it's like, here is another reality where is we're not fully embraced um, in most circles or even some to some degree um, to the level that non-people of color are being embraced. Um, and I'm going in the less obvious direction um, because it could be right in front of people's faces and they not see it. So when we're not being embraced or valued, I feel like a lot of people miss how those two go hand in hand. And not only as people, but as something or someone of substance, we're just seen as a black dick and not entertained, you know, we're just tolerated. People are just going through the motions. People are not really engaging with us a whole lot. And, you know, this is a theme that continues on. But what I want people to understand is that there is a difference between inclusion and being fetishized. And when we're being fetishized, like I said, it's strictly about the dick. But we're not being respected. Um, you know, there are a lot of benefits, a lot of privileges that others get from us. Um, A, the appearance that they embrace black people and people of color, you know, through photos and events. B, they 
benefit from our characteristic traits, our personality in public settings when we engage other people and make others feel comfortable and next thing you know they're they're piggybacking off of us and they're in the circle and they're talking with other people that we're talking with um and they have these photo ops and you know you're doing all the most of the footwork at some of these events engaging with other people raising money getting tickets sold, things like that, while they're in the corner trying to pick up some daddy or they're on their cell phones, got their face in their phones and all this other stuff. You know, shit like that. Like, doing actual community work and community engagement. But the moment the wind changes, so does the loyalty, and I put that in air quotes. Um, And now you're less than. Oh, you're... You're not desirable enough. You're not attractive enough. You are not aware or intelligent enough. This is why we're inserting ourselves and telling you these things because you have to be told, apparently. And it makes me think, wow, like this whole entire time, have I... What idea or perception have you had of me this entire time? Or just anybody? I can look at this objectively for people that are listening and like thinking, oh, don't take it personal. I'll take myself out of it. And I can give you examples of how those attitudes show up in the room when they're addressing other people of color. And how, you know, there's either apathy or no sense of responsibility or reciprocity, yet they expect you to care about them even as they continue to show you that you matter less. Um, And for me, it was a relief um, leaving when I did. I mean, there are those out there that I don't know if because I don't know if it's because they grew up in a privileged setting that they're the exception. Even through the verbal and the psychological abuse and the mental abuse and emotional abuse they've gone through, like they still return. And they're not in photo ops with the other eight or nine people who are all white. Um, and, I, and the disrespect continues to happen more and more. If you were listening to the last episode, uh, Boys on the Side, I made mention within the first 10 minutes of the episode of how a person that is a title holder makes it all the way to Chicago, makes it in the top 20, um, on a speech about inclusion in leather and king spaces. And how I nearly fell off my chair because you're not about that in real life. So keep in mind that like when we, when you think of the word inclusion, that's more than just having us in the same room. And that's more than 
embracing a particular complexion or shade. See, a lot of people won't go as far as confirm what is already obvious to those of us that have been paying attention. Um, A lot of people were quiet um, when things went in a different direction. But the actions still speak louder than words. And people get a pass because they're the husband or the boyfriend or the partner. And they only do the racist shit when nobody else is around. When nobody of interpersonal importance is around. So they they have the privilege of playing both ends. Um, both the privilege and the marginalized. Um, and they continue on. You know, they continue to take the role of being the victim and playing uncomfortable, um, which only confirms the low opinion that they've been showing the three or four years that I've been around. And it's one of those things where they do that kind of shit. They, they, They do these kind of experiences or whatever towards black people and people of color only. But never the non-people of color. And, you know, a lot of people that are in the cool crowd or the popular crowd could care less. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, well, it's not happening to me. I can care less even though you're the oldest person in the room and you are the president of the club. And it's unfortunate because it's like you embrace our votes to get you the position, to get you in the seat. But when it's time to actually be an ally... It's like, oh, I don't know what to tell you. You know, it comes down to privilege, again, where it's like, it definitely shows us who gets a pass and who gets told rules are rules. And without due diligence, without much, uh, without much, common sense, critical thinking, it's just, it is what it is. And people have, another thing is that people have to be very careful as to which bandwagon and which trends they attach themselves to. Because if the majority do not embrace black people, husbands and boyfriends included, to the point that they complain or they attach themselves to the mo- to the movement of alienating, isolating, and excluding black people because they don't like black people. Um, and that sort of thing confirms their racial bias. By attaching yourself to that, it looks like you, you too also don't like black people. And even with that, 
you know, they still justify it um, and add righteousness to it. And it's like, do you really want to do that? And I, and for me, I get it. Like looking at it, it's like, okay, here we have guys that came out later in life um, trying to fit in with guys half their age and are not as aware or maybe just of the naive, ignorant belief that everything is right and your husband's civil, that, you know, anybody European is civil and righteous and is good and there's no, there's no questioning it, no second guessing it because your experience of them has has automatically has to mean that my experience with them is the same. It just has to. It just has to, right? And you know, I sat with that person for an hour and a half trying to explain to them, as I was still like very sick at the time, to the best of my ability, trying to lead the horse to water, and they just just for them later on to just be a full-out asshole. And it's like, do you think, do you think that maybe, you know, me, somebody that's never given you a reason, the three or four years that we've shared the same space, had some meals together, done some classes together, you've even been intimate, here and there you've even seen me publicly and privately with your own eyes never giving you a reason but let somebody else say they don't like me oh well it must be it must be the same no it's not you know the thing about being of one or two or more faces is that you know everybody is not being honest with themselves and with others you know as much as we like to believe that the community is progressing it couldn't be further from the truth you know racism is not as blatant as is in your and as in your face but it's still there People are trying a better job of hiding it, um, either by being silent around certain groups, um, by showing their ass when those people are not around. Um, it's through the antagonism, the the trying to make black people and people of color look inferior or look like they're out of control the links and the measures that people go to try to prove that to to confuse us um, to make us look crazy um, try to get people to question what we know of the truth to be about ourselves and people eat that shit up Group thing. It's probably one of the most dangerous 
things in society. And you have people out here that honestly don't know better. Don't know any better. And this isn't, this doesn't apply to all the cliques and all the groups and stuff. I mean, it's, you know, you have people out there that go on like beach trips and vacations and to Fire Island and they take group photos in front of landmarks and all this other shit. And, you know, you're scanning through the photos and you're like, there's not a single black person in these photos. And believe it or not, you know, friendship circles revolve around people you want to sleep with. It's about desirability. It's like, you know, weird. And with that, it's like every person in the group photo is a variation of two or three people in that same photo. White and bearded, white bears, white twinks, white daddies. It's like, can we for once think with the head above our shoulders? And not with the head below our waist. But another thing is, it, for me, who, I'm more of an observer anyway, just watching how far people will go. Knowing that they won't get get any pushback or thinking or believe that they won't get any pushback. In the back of my mind, I'm like, all this, all this resisting and pushback and drama, like it's, it's over, it's almost like they're overcompensating something they're trying to hide. I mean, for all of the, the drama and confusion and the psychological warfare, it's like, won't you just say that it's not, the party is not inclusive? Why don't you just say, you know what? We're not we're not embracing well cuz they know that shit would be shit would be set on fire. Cuz here's the timeline, right? For years you've been let's say hypothetically for years you've been made aware. You know, you're all part of a brand that's about community and inclusion and brotherhood, right? Let's say in that mix, you have at least three or four black people, a few people of color, and they've been there for a while. And they have, it's been a routine or a habit, what have you. There's been consistency enough 
that you can ascertain these are good quality folks. If you all have the same back patch, same patches, you all have the same, you guys represent the same fucking thing. You would think when you're exposed to people of color and black people that are not a monolith and are not stereotypes, that your your growth and awareness and attitude and thought process and bias would expand. You know, away from stereotyping, away from prejudice to where you're like, damn, this doesn't sound like the person I've had around me for for three or four years. Damn, this doesn't sound like the guy that welcomed me into his house. Damn, this doesn't sound like, you know, a guy that I've had at my house, the guy that's been in my kitchen making jello shots, a guy that I've been on road trips with. It doesn't sound, this doesn't sound right. At least you would think a person would be of the mindset of, you know, yeah, you can be for it and still ask for consent. Not think, oh, well, you're for it. It's something different now. Oh, well, it must be because you're not attractive. Hmm. And in my mind, I'm like, If we follow that logic, one can very easily assume that you're perfectly fine with not taking on the responsibility that comes with being an ally to black people and people of color when we tell you about the the stories and the examples and the experiences of antagonism and racism and exclusion that we experience at your events and at your parties. And we're not just somebody off of the street. Not that it shouldn't not that it should make a difference because we're all contributing either financially or time or loyalty that we shouldn't be having different experiences at these play parties. And if you're going to encourage inclusion, the first thing you might wanna do is n- not still be of an attitude that promotes exclusion. And that starts with those kind of attitudes. Oh, well, it's, it's got to be that. I'm like thinking to myself, bitch, I'm not ugly. I'm not unattractive. I mean, I could take it, take it a step further and say that probably up to a certain age uh, with non-people of color, white people, Europeans, whatever, that they they want a particular aesthetic when it comes to a black man. Dark skin, muscular, big dick. And 
if you've been listening to the episode so far, like, believe I touched on on some of that, or I will be touching on some of that, and how that's very demonstrative and destructive. Um, because not only is it derived from slavery, but it also leaves the door open for disrespect towards black people in general. Even though, even though, here's the gotcha, like, even though they benefit from us, not only socially, but financially, like, it's because of us that you're able to even get a house close to a trendy area. I mean, it's north of Patterson Park, but still, like, you're not that far from a dicey part of town. But, you know, you got a cute little two-story row house, or you have a remodeled, gentrified row house um, with your little hot tub, and no offense. Um, this is as good as it gets, and you still... Look down on black people. Like you still make room and time for that. You still make room and time to disrespect black people. And play into the stereotype that black people and people of color are dangerous, are aggressive, need to be controlled. Why don't you just say that you don't like them? Or just say that you don't like a particular person. You know, I think a lot of things have to occur for it to actually be a community to be proud of. Um, You know, right now it's just the most important thing is to be trendy and jump on trends and, and... only support people when it's popular to, to do so. Um, and we're often left in the background. You know, I will, for myself, I will not give people who have disrespected me and devalued me and tried to found it more important to be an opportunist of self-grandizing and egocentrism more important than, I don't know, being a worthwhile return on investment um, at the very least and being an ally at the most. And it has nothing to do with desirability. It has a lot to do with respect and how you value black people and people of color. And try hard as they might to not to try not appear racist which is mind boggling to me because why not just not be racist the shit still rises to the top you know try hard as you might to not appear a certain way or appear that you support something but actions do speak louder than words 
And those of us that have been paying attention knew it was going to go the way that it did. Um, people, white people that fetishize black people are not their friends. Um, white, white people for white people um, in play parties is not an inclusive party. A room full of people that are not inclusive means the party is not inclusive. And I'm saying this during Pride Month, and it's time that the, we have these conversations. And stop giving these cop-out, weak excuses. Just say that you never liked the person. I mean, it, none of that stops me from being who I am, and none of that changes you know, from my experience is what I'm referring to. Stops me from knowing who I am. Like, there's not another person that can convince me of something other than what I know about myself. Like, you can't tell me about me. And this whole performative alliance and opportunist alliance and being an ally and stuff, please. Like, we got to do better. And we got to start having conversations around um, what people have these attitudes, these racist attitudes that people have been indoctrinated with. So with that, I bid you guys adieu. This is Mr. Fox, the I Refuse Podcast. Follow and subscribe wherever you see the I Refuse Podcast. We're on eight streaming platforms. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe. Uh, stay hydrated. Keep your eyes on your own paper. And stay cool out there in this hot summer. Take it easy. Bye.